So the scripture reading today is taken from Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 to 22, and chapter 8, verses 1, 15 to 17. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 to 22. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its, in its side. Make it lower, second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Verses 15 to 17. And God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. This is God's word. Laming, thanks for leading the service, and thanks for also reading scripture for us. Uh, friends, welcome. Uh, again, it's not ideal that we're meeting online, but... I'm thankful that we can still have this service online, so thanks to the AV team for just being so faithful and for arranging this 
week in and week out. Uh, let me lead us in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive from God in His Word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You for this time uh, that we can gather around Your Word. Father, we pray that You would open our hearts. We ask that You would give us understanding. We pray that Your Spirit would cause Your Word to take root in our hearts and may it bear much good fruit. Father, bring life and light by Your Word. Uh, Help us to respond to You with hearts made alive by Your Spirit, with hearts full of faith and with hands and feet that are quick to obey You. So, Father, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the past week has been a difficult one for us. I think the tragic killing of a student has shocked and saddened us. Our hearts break for the families, for the friends, all affected by this tragedy. And indeed, our prayer is that God may show mercy and compassion and comfort upon all those affected. The spike in COVID cases and the return of tighter restrictions has been difficult as well. I think many of us are more worried and anxious because of the current situation. Many of us are also weary and disheartened, straining under the burdens of our daily lives, straining under being uh, in a heightened alert phase again. After 18 tiring months, We're hoping for a new normal where circuit breakers and heightened alerts can be a thing of the past. I think the disappointment of being back in phase two makes us long even more for a new beginning. I think many of us long for rest. Many of us long to get on with our lives as usual, to see our families and friends again, to be able to gather freely as a church, to eat out with one another, and perhaps to travel and to see the world. So we're all longing for some kind of new beginning, some kind of new normal. Now our passage today is about new beginnings. Genesis 6-8 to are sobering chapters that speak of sin, judgment, and death. Yet these chapters also speak of salvation, of hope, and of life. Uh, The Holy God who judges, is also the gracious God who saves sinners. And He can make all things new. And may we see our need for Him and turn to Him for mercy as we spend some time looking through these chapters. So two big points as we work our way through the text. It's a longer text today, so we won't have time to go through every single verse or detail, but I hope to just draw out some of the main uh, truths from these three chapters and to lead us uh, to come to know God better, and and so we follow Him better as well. So two big points today. One, God judges, and two, God saves. So those are the two big points in our chapters today. So God judges from creation to uncreation. So a new section of Genesis begins with the phrase, these are the generations of Noah. And this section, which goes from 6 verse 9 to 9 verse 29 focuses on Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they focus on these sons and Noah's family before, during, and after the flood. And and so so we look at this first sub-point in our section, be warned, judgment is coming. So why did God send the flood? 
You know, last week I mentioned some uh, Mesopotamian legends where the gods send a, a flood on the earth because they were, dis- they were being disturbed by humanity because humanity was making too much noise. Right? So the gods, because they didn't want to be disturbed, they just wiped out humanity. Well, that's not the case in the biblical account. So God sent the flood basically because of man's sinfulness. And as we heard last week in chapter 6, verses 5 to 7 provide us with God's evaluation of the condition of his creation. Right? Reading in verse 5 of chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So that's God's evaluation of how far creation has fallen from his intended purpose, from his design. And Previously, God saw his creation and it was very good. But now when he looks out and he sees creation, all he sees is the spread of sin. Verse 11 and 12, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh and so on. You know, notice how in verses 11 and 12, the word corrupt is mentioned three times for emphasis. Right? Uh, the, the, Moses, as he writes this passage, he's underscoring how uh, sinful the world had become. And instead of filling the earth with God's glory, men and women have filled it, but with corruption. Noah, however, is different because the Lord showed favor to Noah, verse 8. You know, he found favor in the sight of God. God showed Noah grace. And, and this is how Noah, Noah is described in our passage. He's a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And like his ancestor Enoch, Noah also walked with God in faith and obedience. And God very graciously reveals his plans to Noah. He says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 13. And God tells Noah that divine judgment will come in the form of a flood. Verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. I think note here also that the language is very inclusive. Right? This is not a local flood covering just one small region of the world. I think the language implies that this is a universal flood that affects all of creation. Death is a penalty for sin against our Creator. He made us to know Him, to worship Him, but we have turned our backs on Him. We have rebelled against Him. Rather than love Him, we have selfishly chosen to live our way. Instead of living for God, we live for ourselves. We make a name for ourselves apart from Him. But as God had warned man in the garden, disobedience leads to death. As He warned Adam, we, if you disobey, you shall 
surely die. And indeed, the, the flood is the culmination of this warning, isn't it? That because of man's disobedience, man shall surely die because they've rebelled against the one who is the giver of life, the one who has made them in his image to worship and glorify him, the one who breathes life into them. And when we turn away from the source of life, the only consequence can be death. Because God is perfectly holy, righteous, and just, He must punish sin. And God judges because God is good. He's being true to His character. And God graciously warns us of a coming judgment so that we might prepare for it. So friends, if you're you're hearing these words now about judgment, these words are a grace to you. They're telling you of what's to come. Right? The, the story of the flood doesn't just tell us about a flood that happened many, many years ago. But the story of the flood also looks forward to a coming judgment. And as we hear of judgment, this is an opportunity for us to take these words to heart and to respond to God, to prepare for the coming judgment, which is the second sub-point of this section. Prepare for the coming judgment. So by telling Noah his plans, God is inviting Noah to trust and obey him. And God instructs Noah to build an ark, verse 14 to 16, and to bring two of every living creature, male and female, into the ark to keep them alive. And God promises to save Noah and to enter a covenant relationship with him. Right? We, see, we read more about this covenant in chapter 9. Verses 9 to 11. But 18, chapter 6, verse 18, uh, God says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So by making a covenant with Noah, God is confirming his earlier commitment to raise up a savior. Remember back in Genesis 3, we heard God say to the serpent, you know, I will put enmity between uh, the woman's seed and your seed. This seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So so we heard in Genesis 3 that that really is the promise of a saviour, all the way at the beginning of time. And God will raise up a saviour, this serpent-crushing seed of the woman. And so by entering into a covenant with Noah, God is committing to keep his word, this word that he had earlier spoken. In Genesis 3, God will preserve the line of Adam's descendants through Noah and his family. And and from Noah and his family, this seed-crushing serpent, or sorry, this serpent-crushing seed will come and bring salvation for the earth. God is faithful to save, even though we are faithless. Human sin cannot thwart God's plans. God's plans continue to move forward. Even the flood doesn't derail God's salvation plan. So when Noah completes the ark, the Lord commands him and his household to go into the ark. Chapter 7, verse 1. And again, God commands Noah as righteous. Noah trusts and obeys God throughout this whole process of preparing for the flood. His faith and obedience are repeatedly mentioned throughout these verses. First, it pops up in chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this, he did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. 
chapter 7, verse 9. God, as, as God had commanded Noah. Then chap, chapter 7 again, verse 16, as God had commanded him. So again and again, there's this emphasis on Noah's trust and obedience. Right? Throughout this whole process, we, we don't know how long exactly this process took of building the ark, but Noah was faithful throughout this process. And Noah shows us how we ought to prepare for the coming judgment. So when we hear news of judgment, how should we respond? Noah says to us, trust and obey. Trust and obey. We're to trust in God's promise of salvation and to obey His word. I think that's why in Hebrews 11, Noah is described in these terms. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Friends, this is what faith is. Faith doesn't require some kind of visible evidence, but faith receives God's word and faith takes God at his word. Even when it doesn't make worldly sense to do so. I, I, you can just imagine Noah's contemporaries probably thinking him a bit silly or, or maybe even a bit mad for building a large boat on dry ground. I mean, why, why do that? It, it just doesn't make sense. But friends, often when we trust and obey God, it, it will seem silly in the eyes of the world. You know, the, the notion of having to prepare for a coming judgment will seem strange. Uh, it will seem strange to those around us. Trusting and obeying God can be inconvenient, it can go against the culture. It can go against what we think makes worldly sense. Trusting and obeying God will be disruptive to our lives because we just want to get on with life and business as usual to not have to change, to just do things exactly as we've done them. And this is why Jesus describes the days of Noah in this way. It's quite a pointed description in Matthew 24. Jesus says this of Noah's time. He says, in those days, before the flood, what were they doing? They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all the way. So basically, what were people doing in Noah's day? They were just getting on with life. They were just living their normal lives, going about their routine everyday business, right? eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. I mean, that's just a description of normal life. Normal everyday life has a way of blinding us to our need for God's mercy. I think it's as, it has been said that COVID, as painful as it is, it's, it's a difficult grace. It's grace, it's a difficult grace, but it's grace. Because COVID has forced us to disrupt our usual lives. COVID has forced us to do a reset. And hopefully, after the reset, we come out better for it. You know, COVID points us to our need for God, that we can't go on with life as usual. Something has to change. You know, God is calling us to turn back to Him while we can, to not get too comfortable with life as usual because we often forget God when life gets too comfortable. 
The words of the psalmist in Psalm 32, I think, speak to us in this situation. Psalm 32 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So the psalmist doesn't delay. He comes to God. He responds to God. He trusts and obeys. And, and he has this exhortation to us. He says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, I'm not sure if the psalmist here is alluding to the flood, but, but, but that's a very powerful image. Right? Now is the day of salvation. You, you hear of coming judgment. Respond to God now. You know, turn to Him while He remains merciful. You know, when the judgment comes, it will be too late. Right? In the rush of great waters, we shall not reach Him. But we can reach Him now. So friends, Noah is a great encouragement to us to turn to God, to trust and obey Him while we hear His word. And sure enough, the judgment comes. Right? The next uh, sort of sub-point in this section, verses 10 and 20 to 24 of chapter 7, uh, the floodwaters of God's judgment come. And verse 11 of chapter 7 gives us a precise time stamp. I think that's very unusual in this, in this part of Genesis. Right? The, the, the Moses dates the flood for us according to Noah's life. Right? In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, you're very precise. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open. So friends, this precise dating of the flood tells us that this flood is no myth. It is no legend. It, you know, Moses did not make this up. It is a historical event that truly happened. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void and completely covered by water. You know, Genesis 1 verse 2. And on the second day of creation, God made the sky to separate the waters above from the waters below. And on the third day, God gathered all the waters under the sky into one place and made the dry land appear. So God made the earth and the seas, and God was preparing a place for man and woman, you know, the crown of His creation, uh, those made in His image. He was preparing a place for them to live and to thrive. But I want us to notice that in, in the description of the flood, the language is of a reversal of creation. The flood is uncreation. It reverses what God had done in creation. You know, God shows His sovereign power over creation you know, when He makes the heaven and the earth, and He shows His power again over creation in sending the flood. He causes the waters below and above to flood the earth. The dry land disappears under the deluge. Verses 17 to 19, chapter 7. The flood continued 40 days on the earth, the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. So instead of allowing humanity to multiply and fill the earth, God 
wipes out humanity by multiplying the flood waters. And the waters prevail, you know, literally conquered the whole earth, covering even the tops of the high mountains. And previously, God created man by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, Genesis 2. And Genesis 2 tells us that we depend on God for life. Unless he sustains us, we shall all perish. And here, in Genesis 6 and 7, God uses the flood to remove the breath of life from all living creatures on the earth. Again, it, it's a reversal of creation. It is uncreation. Chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. So once God breathed life, now he takes life away. And the repeated word died you know, recalls the constant refrain that we came across in Genesis 5. And he died, and he died, and he died. So we are again reminded that the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. So the brokenness that we see and experience around us tells us that all is not well with the world. In fact, the flood is a preview. It's like a trailer. It's actually not the main thing, but it previews the final judgment. That's the main thing. So Jesus likens his second coming to the flood as we saw in Matthew 24. And the Apostle Peter, you know, we, started, we started the service today by looking at these two verses from 2 Peter 2. Uh, the Apostle Peter warns us that if God did not spare the ancient world when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So Peter is actually arguing from the lesser to the greater. Right? If, if God sent a flood on the ancient world, he is well able to bring all things to final judgment. Some of us may just talk of judgment, you know, thinking that any mention of judgment is just fear-mongering. You know, maybe we're trying to scare people into coming to, to faith in God. You know, are we just mongering fear, right? You know, after all, life has been going on as usual, you know, the pandemic notwithstanding. But the fact that God has judged in the past cautions us against complacency. Right? I think this is why Peter says in that same letter, 2 Peter 3, he says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Right? I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that God will wrap up history. Right? He'll bring time to an end. I think we often live lives as though we live forever. You know, we often live lives as though nothing will change. Right? That, 
that life goes on as usual. Whatever happens, life goes on as usual. But Peter reminds us that there was a flood that happened a long time ago, and that flood is a warning to us that there will come a reckoning. And God is the one who judges. That's why Peter goes on to say, for they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So friends, the the flood is a preview of the final judgment. And our hearts resonate with the idea of judgment. As much as we dislike hearing talk of judgment, I think deep down in our hearts, we resonate with the idea of a final reckoning. I I shared with you the story before of how my helper comes from Myanmar, and and you know... Many things are happening in Myanmar that are just unjust. There's oppression, there's violence, there's the senseless taking of life. You know, and, and deep in my heart, I, I long for justice. You know, I, I long for God to bring justice and righteousness to that land, for God to uphold what is right. So, so there's this, the, the idea of judgment resonates with us because that's what we really long for. We, we see injustice in the world and, and we long for things to be put right. We long for those who do wrong to, to answer for their wrongdoing. And we long for the oppressed. We long for, the, for those who have been blamelessly uh, treat, you know, un- unjustly treated to be vindicated at the end. You know, we yearn for all the wrongs in the world to be put right. So we do want justice to ultimately prevail. Now I think this is probably the reason why movies with good endings where the good guys win are tend, tend to be more popular than movies in which the bad guys triumph. Right? I, I think there's this thing that's hardwired in, in us that we want to see good being done. We want to see the good winning in the end. So judgment resonates with us. The trouble is that we think other people deserve to be judged, not us. Right? We, we think that it's the, really the bad people who deserve judgment, not us. Friends, we shall all have to give an account to King Jesus when he returns to judge the living and the dead. So will we be ready? Will we be ready? And does the coming judgment also make us more urgent in telling others the good news of how they can flee from the wrath to come? I think it's interesting how 2 Peter 2 describes Noah as a herald of righteousness, as a preacher of righteousness. So I, I think Noah, when he heard of coming judgment from God, I think he, he tried to tell people around him. Right? He tried to warn people. He tried to tell them to flee from the wrath to come, to turn to God and to find mercy from God. So Noah didn't just quietly build an ark and, and keep the news to himself, but I think Noah preached righteousness. And I think as we hear of God's judgment, our responsibility is not to keep this to ourselves, but our responsibility is to preach, is to tell others how to flee from the wrath to come. So don't just 
sit in a holy huddle, kind of bemoaning the state of the world. But brothers and sisters, our responsibility is to go and tell the nations of God's salvation, of how He has provided a means of escape, that He will judge, but that He's also gracious to save. Which brings us to our second big point. God saves from, create, from uncreation to new creation. Looking at chapter 8, verses 1 to 19. So the fact that we can go and proclaim salvation to people means that we have good news. And the good news is basically that God saves. And we see this in chapter 8 of Genesis. Against the darkness of sin and judgment, the brilliance of God's grace shines even brighter. And the Lord saves Noah and his family by shutting him in the ark. Chapter 7, verse 16. You'll notice how it is the Lord who shut him in the ark. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's grace from God that Noah is kept safe. And God graciously preserves a remnant. Verse 23. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So two sub-points here. God saves by keeping his word. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this is really the key turning point of our text. Chapter 8, verse 1. You know, this, the whole narrative turns. You know, this is like a hinge. You know, it's like a door that turns on its, hinge, on its hinges. This is the hinge of this passage. We move from judgment to salvation. It, it hinges on chapter, on chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Now, this doesn't mean that God forgotten about, had forgotten about Noah and suddenly, oh, yep, forgot. There's this guy in the ark. Better go save him. No, it doesn't mean that God had forgotten. You know, the word remember is a covenantal term. Every time we see in Scripture of God remembering, it's not because God is forgetful, but because He is committed to His covenant promises. Remembering is a word that describes His unfailing commitment, that He's true to His word, that whatever He says, He will do. God is faithful to His promises. So when God remembers Noah, God is committing Himself again to do good, to be faithful to all of His salvation promises to Noah and his family, indeed to all of humanity that will come after Noah. God will keep His word and God will keep His promise to save. And for this reason, God preserves Noah and his family. Brothers and sisters, in these uncertain times, be comforted and encouraged by God's faithfulness. You know, this past week has been tough. You know, I, know, I know many of us are struggling, disheartened. Many of us are, are fearful and anxious, not just about COVID, but over what we've seen happen in one of our schools. Life in a fallen world can be discouraging. It, it can really overwhelm us. But take heart. I think the confidence that we have comes in, in chapter 8, verse 1. God remembers. So we should remember that God remembers. When you feel afraid, when you feel worried and anxious, remember that God remembers. He will never leave nor forsake His people. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in COVID getting better. Our hope is not in our earthly security. Our hope 
is in God's unchanging faithfulness to His covenant promises. He is the God who saves because He is the God who is trustworthy and true to His word. God saves by establishing a new creation. It's the second sub-point here. So what happens after the flood is described like recreation. Right? The flood is like uncreation. What happens next is like a recreation. Like in Genesis 1 verse 2, when God's Spirit hovered over the face of the waters, so here in chapter 8 verse 1, God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. I think you see this more clearly in, in the original Hebrew language because wind and spirit are actually the same word in Hebrew. So the spirit hovered and then God caused the wind to blow over the earth. Basically, without God's spirit, there is chaos and death. But now that God causes the wind to blow, He brings life and order. And, and God holds back the waters above and the waters below again. You know, God again gathers the waters and makes the dry land gradually appear. You know, chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. You know, Noah's father, Lamech, remember how we read at the end of chapter 5, Lamech had hoped that his son, Noah, would bring relief, rest. You know, this happens in an unexpected way. I don't think this is what Lamech was expecting. But we, we read about rest in chapter 8. The ark came to rest. Same word that Lamech used when he was hoping for relief. So God gave rest. The ark finally comes to a perch after the waters dry out. The rest that Lamech longed for has come. It's come through the judgment of the world. And God makes the earth habitable again for the living creatures. Chapter 8, verses 13 to 14, in the 601st year, so the flood has lasted about a year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And the living creatures were brought onto the ark in twos. Right? Remember, we read that earlier. They came onto the ark in twos, unless they were clean animals, then seven pairs were brought onto the ark. But otherwise, they came, on the, they came onto the ark in twos, male and female. You know, all that language sounds a lot like creation, doesn't it? Now, just like at creation, the living creatures are sent forth out of the ark to be fruitful and multiply, again, language of creation, according to their kind. Then God said to Noah, verses 15 and 17, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is, on, that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. It's like God commissioning again humanity and His creation to be fruitful and multiply, just like what we heard in Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So what happens after the flood is like a new creation with Noah like a new Adam. Noah and his family are like a new humanity. And through this family, God intends to bless the families of the earth. 
So God is the one who graciously makes all things new. He saves through judgment. That's, that's an important thing to remember. God saves through judgment. And God ushers in a new creation. He grants life after death. You know, I was so excited earlier this year. I think you know, it was such a wonderful first four months of the year when we were able to gather again as a church. You know, people were coming back. We had two services. Uh, we were able to sing you know, with masks on, but we were able to sing in the services. It was a wonderful time just seeing people again. And, and you know, we had a few hundred people coming back every weekend. It, it was wonderful. And, and I, you know, it felt like me, it felt to me like the dawn of a new beginning. You know, maybe this is the new normal. You know, but now we find ourselves in phase two again. And I'm sure many of us are disappointed. We're still, we're still looking forward to this post-COVID beginning. You know, in a similar way, Noah and his family, it looks like it's a new normal. It looks like a new beginning. But this family will also fail to live up to the promise of a new beginning. And you know, if you read on in Genesis, between Genesis 9 to 11, so even after the flood, sin and death continued to reign. And so we wonder, you know, how will God bring the new beginning that we all need? You know, I, I thought this is supposed to be the new creation, isn't it? Well, not quite. So the story of Noah and the flood points forward to a greater new creation, to a greater salvation accomplished by a new and better Adam. You know, God instructed Noah to bring onto the ark seven pairs of all clean animals, so these animals were to be sacrificial offerings, pleasing to the Lord. And you read about the sacrifice later on in chapter 8, verse 21. But now we have a better sacrifice. God himself has graciously provided a sacrificial offering to atone for sin. He has sent his son, Jesus, to save sinners like us. You know, we don't need clean animals, but we look to the Savior who is without blemish. And Jesus identified with us by being baptized. You remember reading about Jesus' baptisms, you know, Jesus' baptism in the Gospels? You know, it was, that his baptism was a sign that Jesus would be covered with the waters of judgment. You know, we are saved through judgment. And the good news is that we don't face God's judgment but Jesus takes God's judgment in our place. He takes God's judgment for all who would repent and turn to Him and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. Christ became a curse for us so that we might be forgiven and made right with God. You know, after the flood, Noah sent out a dove to see if the waters had subsided from the earth. I, I think it's very intriguing that you know, when, when Jesus rose from the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit is described as descending on him like a dove. Mere coincidence? I, I don't think so. I, I think in, in Jesus' baptism, there's an echo of creation again, after the flood, of new creation. So the, the, the Spirit, you know, again, like the Spirit hovering over the waters, the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove is a sign that by rising from the waters of death, Jesus himself is the new creation. 
So it's no coincidence that Colossians 1 describes Jesus in this way. He is the beginning. He's the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. He's the new creation. He's the first one to rise from the grave. Jesus himself is the new creation. The risen Christ has conquered death. And if we are in him, then he will bring us safely through the floodwaters of God's judgment to new life. And through his beloved Son, God is making all things new. And when Jesus returns in glory, he will bring with him the new heaven and the new earth. That's the new beginning we all need. Only Jesus can give us the new beginning we long for. And in these troubled times, Jesus is our hope. And he calls us to turn to him by faith so that we can be made new and transformed from glory to glory. When we turn to trust in Jesus, when we obey his word, friends, we are the new creation in Christ. God makes us new through his son. He gives us hope through the gospel. And therefore, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, the flood points us to a coming judgment. But the flood also points us to a coming new creation that Jesus himself will accomplish. He is the new creation. And he invites us today to turn to him, to trust him, to obey his word, and to become in him a new creation in Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed for you are holy, you are righteous, you are just. And Father, we praise you. You are a great God. And Father, we thank you and praise you as well, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Even in wrath, you remember mercy, and you provide salvation for us. Indeed, you provide salvation for us, not through any uh, boat, but you provide salvation for us through your very Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for how he has come and how he has taken judgment in our place, if we trust him, so that we can be given new life. We thank you for how you raised him from the dead, making him uh, that new creation. And Father, we thank you that in him we also are a new creation. So Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts to turn us to you. Father, help us to trust and obey your word, to believe your promises of salvation. And Father, we pray that you would comfort our hearts. We pray that in these difficult days, in these trying times, you would show yourself to be faithful, you would show yourself to be a God who is trustworthy. We pray that you would turn us to you, help us to trust you, help us to know you, and we pray that you would fill our hearts with encouragement and hope, hope that only you can give through your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.